Welcome to Connecting with the Toms podcast. I'm your co-host, Julie Tom. And this is Dr. Tom. We wish to share the untold truth about the health and fitness industry based on our combined 70 years of experience. Uh, we want you to connect and feel empowered uh, in your own mind and body uh, via interacting with each other. Uh, this show is about connection for you, for us, and for the world. Uh, this is the Connecting with Tom's broadcast. Let's start connecting. So today's episode, we'll discuss the difference between conventional, integrative, functional, naturopathic, and biological medicine. So let's get to it. Hello, everybody. Uh, you know, this is our introductory uh, podcast. Uh, our goal is to try and help people understand the, the different aspects of uh, healthcare, the different aspects of medicine. If you're in Canada uh, or if you're in the United States or in, you're in Europe, uh, there's so many different systems of medicine uh, that are presently um, you know, available to people, but we're going to focus more on the Western world as opposed to Chinese medicine, uh, Ayurvedic medicine, uh, which are also very viable uh, components of medicine. But, you know, the, uh, you know, in order to try and understand where we're at in 2022, uh, I think it's, I think it's important to at least consider a little bit of the history of how medicine has evolved. And it starts back to some, but something that people may have heard of, which was Hippocrates, which was about 400 BC in ancient Greece. And Hippocrates is considered the father of medicine uh, because he started to uh, get some things organized. He started to uh, document some things. And so it's in the last, um, you know, 2,400 years, we've seen an evolution uh, to our present day system. And, you know, we could go through an entire litany of uh, lots of different types of people uh, over, you know, those 2,400 years, but I'm gonna, we're gonna focus more on the last 100 years uh, for what's going on. Um, you know, first of all, to say that, you know, over the course of medicine, there's been incredible practitioners, there's been incredible scientists, uh, there's been incredi incredible, uh, um, very intelligent people who have uh, put forward uh, the aspects of medicine as we know it today. And I think there's an important aspect to, to realize that uh, in 1847, the American Medical Association was formed and was formed for the simple reason of trying to separate the medicine of the day, uh, which was mostly about uh, bloodletting, uh, the use of uh, purgatives, the use of carminatives, because uh, you know they didn't know as much about obviously medicine as we know today, and most people don't know that you know George Washington himself was died because of the medicine of the day, which was bloodletting. People used to think that when you were sick, there was some ill humor uh, in your system and you had to get rid of it. So they blood, they literally drained his blood out and he died because he didn't have enough blood. So the AMA was formed uh, in 1847 uh, because that was the medicine of the day, but popular in Europe at the time was, was another brand of medicine, homeopathic medicine, uh, which was much gentler and was more based on trying to help people identify you know, what, where the problem came from. And so we had two schools of thought at the time. One was sort of less harsh and one was the medicine of the day. So the American Medical Association in 1847 basically made the decision, if you wish to 
uh, be part of the gang, uh, you would basically do commendatives, you do uh, purgatives, uh, you would do bloodletting, you would use leeches, et cetera, et cetera, because that's what everybody did. And if you weren't part of the gang and were using more of the, the I'll call it the gentler side of medicine, uh, you were excluded. And that went on for about 50 years. And then in, in uh, 19, um, 1910, uh, the Rockefeller and Carnegie Foundation uh, basically commissioned uh, Adolf Flexner, uh, who was an accountant, to go around uh, to the medical schools at the time. And in 163 days, he went to 162 medical schools and then published a report saying, uh, these are the rules that uh, that we're going to use to for people to practice medicine. So a lot of schools were closed. There was a lot of very harsh uh, to, uh, rules that were put in place, including uh, women were not allowed in medical school. Uh, many schools were closed. Uh, they weren't allowed to teach uh, anything about herbal medicine. They weren't allowed to teach anything about homeopathic medicine. They weren't allowed to teach uh, things about uh, manipulation and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So, and so in the last hundred years, we've had this uh, evolution uh, of medicine. Uh, and with that came, of course, a lot of science. And so at, the, at that point in time, we, we have evolved into what most people are well aware of, which is this whole model of, uh, you know, allopathic or conventional medicine. And that's the medicine that most people are familiar with. Uh, they're medical doctors and uh, osteopathic physicians. Uh, in the Western world, we'll say, uh, whether you're in Canada, the US or Europe or Australia, for that matter. Uh, and they, they practice a healthcare system along with nurses and pharmacists and therapists. And their focus, for the most part, is to help people feel better. So they focus on the symptoms uh, that the patient may present it with. They focus on trying to name a disease uh, so that they can have a standardized approach to that type of thing. Uh, the approach often involves uh, prescription medications, which you get at the pharmacy, uh, or sometimes there's a radiation is involved or surgeries involved. So mainstream, orthodox, Western, conventional, all basically following that particular line is what people are, are mostly aware of. Uh, the responsibilities that they have is to manage acute if you have an acute illness, as we have seen in the last couple of years with the pandemic, uh, the system is has a few challenges because our hospitals have been overrun. Uh, they don't really have a system to manage. No, nobody has a system really to be able to manage that type of thing. So you started to see some of the discrepancies or some of the challenges, um, you know, that that have come uh, with that particular model. Uh, and also in the last hundred years uh, that had, uh, you know, starting in 1901 was naturopathic medicine, uh, which was this distinct system of uh, primary health care that has had an emphasis on prevention and self-healing through the use of uh, natural therapies, the use of uh, everyday types of things. And so the roots go back into the late 1800s. Uh, and it, it witnessed a rapid rise in, in you know, public uh, interest in the early 1900s until the Flexner Report came around. Uh, and then the, there was a shift away from naturopathic schools and more into the conventional model of schools. <clears throat> and so naturopathic medicine to this day, uh, there was a revival uh, in the last uh, 50 years. 
as uh, as the 50 years of uh, Western or mainstream medicine, you know, uh, put on, put forward many very positive things like the onset of antibiotics, uh, which came in the 1950s. And then by 1978, the uh, health general uh, in the US declared that uh, all infectious disease had been eliminated. Well, we've come to see that all infectious disease has not been eliminated and the pandemic has certainly uh, taken it to place that uh, we really don't have very good tools at all for uh, infectious uh, illness, specifically in uh, the aspect of viral illness. So over the course of, you know, the years, uh, many uh, conventional mainstream doctors became uh, somewhat uh, disillusioned or somewhat realizing that all their tools were uh, not necessarily satisfactory for many of the challenges that uh, patients had. They had great tools for managing acute problems. If you have a motor vehicle accident, uh, if you've been in a serious injury, obviously a hospital is the place to go. But when they started looking at uh, chronic illness, uh, patients who have uh, autoimmune diseases or patients uh, who have cancer uh, uh, or, and patients who have uh, neurological illnesses and mental illnesses, which are coming more to the fore, uh, some of the tools that they had, they felt were probably less than, uh, than ideal. So they started to incorporate uh, some of the other disciplines. So uh, you started to see integrative doctors uh, and, and incorporate uh, people who had an acupuncture. So they would get acupuncturists into their practice because they were looking at the, they were looking at China. They were looking at the, the medical system that China was providing uh, or India providing for that matter. Uh, yoga, which had been long practiced and still is practiced uh, out of India has became incorporated into their practices. They recommended hands-on work, uh, the importance of doing things like massage, uh, hands-on uh, that can basically be supporting uh, people for what's going on. Uh, there was some more of an emphasis that they looked at nutrition, which is obviously a good thing. They looked at exercise as, as a way to help curb obesity uh, or diabetes. Uh, and so integrative physicians started to... Uh, uh, support uh, the idea that poor lifestyle uh, choices were often the root cause of, uh, of many of many of the diseases. And that was a huge positive step forward. And that was probably, you know, in the, in the 1980s and 1990s, we started to see uh, those types of practices evolve. And then more recently, in the last 20 years, there's a whole other group of, of medicine uh, known as functional medicine uh, doctors and functional medicine uh, physicians of all disciplines uh, sort of uh, have a focus on biology, uh, biology based, and it's focusing on trying to identify and address the root cause of disease. Uh, and each of the symptoms uh, help them making a differential diagnosis. And they felt that could be potentially, you know, contributing to one's individual illnesses. Uh, functional medicine lends itself, lends itself to certainly acceptance by many, many people because they see that was a step forward uh, than just basically going to uh, your physician, uh, spending a few minutes describing your, your symptoms, uh, and then uh, basically being handed a piece of paper or now it's done electronically and they say, go to the pharmacy and pick up your prescription and take it once a day or twice a day or whatever the, the thing is, and then come back and see me in a month or so, and we'll see how you're doing. 
uh, without much much explanation as to really what's what's going on. So they, uh, you know, they don't put as much uh, stock in the idea of other healing systems, such as Chinese medicine. Uh, they don't put much stock in the idea of a homeopathic medicine um, because they feel that well, we don't have labs that can verify. So uh, functional medicine uh, really tries to look at uh, for some very sophisticated type lab testing. Uh, to try and identify what they believe is the, is the root uh, of the problem. But our reality is never, they haven't really identified the root of anything, uh, in my opinion. And when you look at routine blood tests, when you go to your doctor uh, for your annual exam uh, and he does a cholesterol check or he does a blood pressure check uh, or you know a blood sugar check and your electrolytes, et cetera, uh, you have to you have to realize that uh, nine, 95 out of 100 people who have checked are always going to be told that they're normal, irregardless of what the numbers are, because that's how the norms are set up. They're not set up for health. They're actually just set up for uh, for convenience uh, more than anything. So the only people that show an abnormal result on a lab test are in either in the bottom two and a half percent or in the top two and a half percent outside what is a reference range. And, you know, as I've been in the medical field for over 50 years now, over those five decades, what I've seen is every once in a while, the lab will send a, a report and saying, oh, we've changed the reference range for thyroid, or we've changed the reference range for calcium or magnesium, or whatever they're changing. And I said, well, how can they change the reference range? How are they doing this research? They're actually not doing it by research. They're doing it by statistics. Statistics are such that when they look at 10,000 tests, uh, if more than 5% of those tests are outside the reference range, they simply widen the reference range so that only 5% of people are in the reference range. So it's really not about health. It's really just about statistics and convenience. And so when we look at what functional medicine, they're basically looking at a moment in time, but the body, if you do it 10 minutes later, you have a different moment in time. So things are changing rapidly. So the style of medicine that, uh, that I practice, you know, trained as a naturopath, uh, still practice the, the, the basic tenets of that uh, with the addition of uh, a few things in the, in the model of biological medicine, which in my opinion is really the medicine of the future. And it's, it's based on fundamental science it's the practice that it's the art of healing that is accessible for uh, everybody, uh, regardless of uh, what the illness is. So our focus is not on the illness. Our focus is on the biology, the biochemistry, the physiology, uh, the physics, if you like, of how the body works. Um, the aim in biological medicine is to identify imbalances, uh, which, which you know, people know as being called an illness or a weakness. And we find it truly at the source, not just from a moment in time, as far as a functional test is concerned. Uh, and we basically restore that to, you know, to create balance, to reestablish balance. Uh, in medicine, we call it homeostasis. Uh, it should really be homeodynamic because it's not a static uh, situ situation. It's actually a constantly evolving and yeah, your liver right now as you're sitting is doing over 500 things as we're sitting there and there's millions and millions of reactions happening every instant in our body. So it's a very dynamic system. Uh, so this system of biological medicine, people think, well, is this new? I've never heard of it. 
Actually, it's no, it's not new. It's actually one of the oldest systems because it practices yeah, using laws of nature. Uh, it practices, uh, you know, what is what Mother Nature has put on put us on Earth forever, and it's just basically been recognized. So, biological medicine has the ability to focus on uh, all aspects of truly biology, physics, uh, biochemistry. So, when we when we look at the integration from a biological practitioner, uh, we're looking at all the sciences. We're looking at everything that has come literally from the past and in the present. Uh, and then we're able to incorporate uh, some different tools, incorporating uh, what science has brought us in the last hundred years, uh, which allows us to gather uh, in further insight as opposed to just doing a blood test or uh, a stool sample test uh, or take a picture with, a, with an x-ray machine or a CT machine or an MRI machine. We're basically able to get glimpses of uh, systems that you can't see in any other way. We're able to get a glimpse of what your nervous system is doing. We're able to get a glimpse of what your cardiovascular system is doing on a moment by moment basis without having people to do a treadmill, uh, basically just sort of to see whether or not uh, you have the ability to, uh, to do some type of exercise. So over the course of time, uh, it was started by Aristotle, believe it or not, back about 300 BC. So, you know, a little bit after Hippocrates. Uh, so it incorporates the, the practices of, and it accepts all practices. So whether it's a naturopathic medical philosophy or whether it's, uh, you know, zero EMF technologies, whether it's conventional Western medicine, uh, traditional Chinese medicine, uh, orthomolecular medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, a physical therapy, chiropractic medicine, homeopathic medicine, eclectic herbalism, uh, traditional detox protocols, uh, biological dentistry, uh, mind-body connection philosophy, uh, lymphatic drainage, uh, electromagnetic stimulation, uh, toxicology, um, uh, therapeutic touch, hydrotherapy. It's vast. Uh, you know, so it's not trying to exclude... Uh, any particular system that has, because every system has, uh, you know, some really positives and biological medicine has done its best to try and take the best of everyone. You know, we don't, we don't use every principle of every, uh, of all those systems. However, using a state uh, of art diagnostic equipment with testing, uh, using the idea that we can actually measure and understand uh, changes within the body in real time, what happens uh, when there's a stress, a circumstance or a stress situation. Uh, many people are not even aware that it's happening inside their body, but we're able to capture that uh, with state-of-the-art technology. So we can do things like heart rate variability. And people who have Apple watches, people who have aura rings, uh, Fitbits, et cetera, are starting to learn that you can capture uh, some of these things, but we use something that's a little more sophisticated uh, in the office that gives us a little more detailed information, but it gives you a glimpse of the, of the types of things that uh, people are gathering uh, every day. We also can do uh, contact regulation uh, thermography. Uh, we can see how your organs respond uh, in when there's, when there's a stress every organ responds a little bit differently and are your organs responding appropriately or are some of them out of balance? And, you know, when they're out of balance, they're out of homeostasis. So that's when we can look at something and saying, 
oh, so we need to focus on this organ system as opposed to the system, excuse me, as opposed to the symptom, because I always tell people we don't act, biological medicine doesn't really treat illness because um, we don't know how to treat illness. We really focus on health. Uh, our focus is to try and understand how did the person get there? Uh, why are they having uh, their specific issue? And so if somebody comes in and says, oh, I have a sore throat, um, you know, do I have strep throat? I said, it doesn't really matter if you have strep throat. Uh, strep isn't the problem. Uh, the, what the strep is doing is it's, it's raising the body's biochemistry, physiology, and physics to create discomfort to, so that you do something about it so uh, you don't keep eating and irritating it. Uh, and so you can do a treatment. Uh, basically, we say, well, you have to treat, get rid of the strep. Once again, the strep isn't the problem. The strep is the trigger because it's your body that's actually giving you the symptom. Symptoms are simply a sign that something is out of balance. And so we use our, our state-of-the-art diagnostic testing to try and help find out which are the, the weak links, we'll say, in the chain as far as our organ systems are concerned. Um, so whether we use an, a heart rate variability, whether you use contact regulation thermography, uh, whether we use something called idle scans, which use them, uses the idea of quantum physics. People say quantum physics, so that's a new word. Actually, it's not word. Einstein and Max Planck published that in 1927. So it's been around almost 100 years. Uh, in fact, it's used in Western medicine. If any woman has ever had a mammography, if you've ever had a CT scan, if you've ever had an MRI, that basically is using the idea of quantum physics. Uh, far beyond the idea that Madam Curie came up with was taking an x-ray. So we do, they do use some aspects of that where it's not used in mainstream medicine, however, is for therapies. So they'll use it for diagnosis. But then when you start talking about energetic therapies, which biological medicine uh, is a huge proponent of, we start to realize that we can use energies uh, to, to uh, allow bodies to move back into balance and homeostasis. So you know, we've evolved through these last uh, 2,400 years, uh, taking the best of all worlds. And so the, the medicine of the future, without any doubt, is the biological approach using state-of-the-art diagnostic, and for that matter, state-of-the-art therapeutics uh, that are far beyond just uh, taking a prescription or, you know, saying, oh, this is the best diet for you or not, and saying, well, you should, uh, you know, go to the gym or do some type of movement every day which are all essential tools, uh, but we certainly focus on uh, the laws of nature uh, where we talk about, you know, all the components that are, that are necessary for returning people to uh, an overview of what it is that's going on. So hopefully that is a bit of, gives you a bit of an idea of where their state of medicine is at and where our state of medicine can be going. So the goal is search out a biological practitioner uh, who has some of these types of tools and can help you get uh, to the next level as far as your level of optimal performance is concerned. So how would I go about trying to find one? You know, one of the, one of the places to start with uh, is there's an institute in uh, Marion, Massachusetts, uh, the Marion Institute. Uh, so just Googling that, they, they have been involved in uh, helping people find uh, these types of practitioners uh, and so if you uh, Google Marion Institute dot 
com or maybe .org, uh, you'll actually find a list and you can contact them and they would be more than happy to get started. And that would, that would be a place to start. Uh, you can uh, also probably Google biological uh, practitioners, biological doctors. Uh, you will find a lot of them because not a lot have been trained in that. Uh, but that will be coming. In fact, I'm doing a course personally uh, where I'm actually training physicians of how to incorporate some of these great tools uh, into their clinic and into their practices. So let's say I'm sick, I have chronic inflammation and uh, my insurance doesn't cover it. So where do I, and I'm having, and like, there's no one in my town. So, cause I actually have like, I was talking to a friend of mine, she lived in Chicago. She actually had a biological doctor that she um, used to see there, but then she moved to Kansas in Kansas. She can't find a biological doctor and then insurance has like all these stipulations and whatnot. So what do you do? Uh, what are my options? If you know, I'm limited by where my insurance lets me go and I don't have anybody around me. You know, one of the challenges when looking at healthcare in regards to insurance uh, is coming to the realization that, you know, basically what you're doing is you're, you're, you're allowing the government, you're allowing an outside party to determine your own personal state of health. Uh, health is really is a personal choice. And, and I think, unfortunately, many people wait until it's broken to try and seek out something as far as insurance is concerned. Insurance was never meant to be uh, for health care. Insurance was meant to be for catastrophic care. Uh, if you were a motor vehicle accident, uh, if you had a catastrophic catastrophic health event. Uh, insurance was built and designed for those types of events. Insurance isn't built for uh, and never was designed for the idea of helping you on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, I'll, I ask people, uh, do you drive a car? Uh, do, you, do you own a house or do you live in an apartment? And of course, most people do. And then you say, well, do you have car insurance? Uh, yep. And do you have house insurance? Yeah. Have you ever used it? Uh, no. Well, so why do you have it? Well, just in case. And that's really what insurance is for. Uh, you know, in insurance, when you go to uh, change the oil in your car or buy new tires or get a tune-up, doesn't does your car insurance pay for that? No, your car insurance pays if you have an accident. So I think one of the aspects is thinking about what is the value of insurance. And so just like uh, people will pay you know, $100 plus for our cell phone every month. If we, if they put $100 aside every month uh, into their own healthcare type thing, uh, they, basic, they basically, and have a catastrophic health insurance program, uh, they basically will be able to have insurance for what it's needed for, which is catastrophic illness. But then they'll be able to provide, you know, the self-care aspect of that. So, but if you let your insurance company decide what your healthcare is, Unfortunately, uh, you probably will not be able to find the type of care that you're, you may be needed. And our goal, of course, is not to wait until something is broken, but to try and help people understand where they are uh, at a point in time so that we can intervene and give them ideas that they can basically do for themselves at home uh, on an ongoing basis. And that's the true value of prevention. Now, as far as finding things, uh, you know, so to sometimes in order to get a baseline, some somebody may have to travel uh, to a city. But once now, what we have, um, you know, we can do virtual medical visits. 
uh, it's, it's possible to do uh, after an initial uh, in-office and some you know, state-of-the-art diagnostic testing and therapies, uh, we can do virtual visits. And then we, you can start to find, it, people are often surprised that you know, in their local community, uh, they may not be aware that uh, perhaps a chiropractor or perhaps a physical therapist or perhaps a massage therapist uh, does, does lymphatic massage, for example, or uh, a chiropractor will have a, an exercise with oxygen therapy uh, unit that they can do. So there's ways of finding other practitioners, other therapies, therapists within their community. Uh, they may not be able to say, well, I can't go you know, down the street and find somebody who has all this state of the art. No, not initially, but you know, in time, there will be more and more of those physicians. And so looking in the mirror every day and say, that's the person that I see that is most responsible for my health. Uh, people don't realize that you know, if you see a doctor uh, once a year for an annual visit, uh, the amount of time that you spend with the doctor in that year is about 0.00005% of the entire year. And you can't expect somebody who sees 0.005% of time with you to basically be directing your healthcare because you're with your body 99.99995%. That's the person who's most responsible. You're you're your own, own best physician. And that's really what you have to do in order to keep maintaining your health. And that's obviously why what biological medicine is mostly focused on. But that doesn't mean we... We don't support and don't treat people who have chronic uh, health problems. In fact, we have many uh, state-of-the-art tools that uh, can be very helpful and very effective in concert uh, with whatever it is that they're doing with their primary care doctor. So you're saying I don't have to spend a lot of money to get started in terms of taking care of my health? You don't have to spend a lot of money to get started. Uh, you know, basic treatment guidelines, uh, also known as uh, natural laws, uh, are the things that we promote single patient. Uh, it's the types of things of where we look at, you know, how, but what type of movement are you doing every day? How is your sleep? Are you doing grounding every day? Um, you know, we've added uh, doing nebulizing treatments every day. We've, uh, we uh, look at the idea of what, what is the best diet for you? How much water do you drink every day? Uh, and what are the other lifestyle choices that you're doing that you can do for yourself that, 50% uh, of your health will easily come from just following natural laws. And then you can get the support of a professional to help you in other specific areas. Right. But I see, but the problem that I keep seeing is that a lot of times people won't do anything until something's broken, but it's like, I know I'm sick. I've got, you know, autoimmune issues or whatever. What do I do? More or less a state of mind. Um, and I think it's the fact that uh, we live in a society that's, um, you know, quick fix. Um, you know, I don't want to do anything for myself. I want instant gratification, that type of thing. So I think, I think, you know, one thing when you look at healthcare, uh, there's a, there's an industry already that has done a tremendous job. I feel like a couple of industries, uh, the auto industry, uh, every time you get your oil changed, what do they say? They put a sticker on your car and say, come back on 3000 miles. They don't say, wait until you've driven 10,000 miles. Uh, you know, change your oil in 3,000 miles, whether you need it or not. You have no idea does the oil burned out or not. So they've done a good job of marketing. And the other industry in healthcare, of course, is dentistry. You know, dentistry is notorious for, and with a good reason, they say, come every six months for your, for your checkup, come every six months for your cleaning. 
Do you know if there's a problem? No. So you're doing true preventive medicine. So when you practice true preventive medicine, which is looking after yourself, which is every day, and then checking in with the doctor once or twice a year, just to make sure that uh, things are going fine. You know, if you waited until the horse, the barn door is open and the horse is 10 miles down the road and decide, well, I think it should close the barn door. It's like, okay, you can close the barn door, but you're going to have to chase after that horse for a long time before you can bring it back to the barn. So it's not a function of, well, what am I about to do about it? It's a, it is a function of self-care. It is a function of finding somebody who can support your specific challenges on all levels. Uh, and there are people out there who are willing to do that, but most of the care becomes self-care. And then your professional will just help you guide you with specific guidelines and whether it's taking a prescription medication, which are needed in, in many cases, or a nutritional supplement, which is needed in some cases, or getting an acupuncture treatment, or having somebody do a lymphatic massage once a month, or you going out and practicing grounding, or uh, you know the types of things that you can do in your own community. Uh, for what's going on. It's, uh, you know, if you're, you know, if you're, if we look at cell phones, uh, as another example, do, do people wait and oh, I have a phone that's uh, 10 years old, doesn't work very well, but uh, I'm going to keep using it anyway. So, you know, they, they, that doesn't happen. They actually keep upgrading. Why? Because there's better technology. There's better this. We have to look at our bodies as the same way. You know, your body eventually wears out. Uh, and there's, it's not a surprise that, you know, the 80%, if not 90% of healthcare dollars are spent when people are basically over 50 years of age. And so people from zero to 50 occasionally go to the doctor because they have this, that, or the next thing, but they're really not looking at, but what, what's really happening here, what's happening physiologically inside my system so that I could be 75 and still do the things I could do at 45. People wait until it's broken and then say, well, now fix it. Well, the body doesn't work like that. The body's not a computer. Uh, the body is a much more integrative machine that has uh, tens of thousands of reactions happening every instant uh, in an attempt to keep things in balance. And we're talking not just physical body, but uh, the mental, emotional, spiritual body, because now we know that they're all interconnected. And with the advent of, thankfully, of people speaking out more about mental illness, uh, we're finding that the importance that that place and people's physical uh, physical sensations of what it is that they have presently. Huge, huge. And that's what I'm finding in my own practice. Like I was all about movement, but it's very much, there's, there's all these factors. And so basically what I'm hearing is, is you have to be your own advocate, health advocate. And, you know, like, even if it is, you know, like, if you, if you are over the age of 50, you, there's still things that you can do that are preventative and start taking, like take your basic treatment guidelines or nature's laws. And there's things that you can do, but definitely be your own advocate in terms of your health. That's time to break the, break the, break the cycle or pattern, do a pattern interrupt and be like, no, it's time to take care of myself. And you know, one of the great advantages are people with children or even uh, grandparents who have grandchildren, uh, is to be supporting, uh, you know, their their own children or their grandchildren in the ways that their, you know, those kids will grow up in a system that isn't reliant on every time I have a symptom, I have to take something. Every time I have a runny nose, oh, I have to take something that dries it up. Or every time I have a headache, I have to take Tylenol. 
uh, you know, as, as I've said tens of thousands of times to patients, you know, if you have a headache, what do you do? And they say, well, I'll take Advil or Tylenol. I said, well, is your headache due to an Advil, an, an Advil or a Tylenol deficiency? Uh, no. Well, then you still have the headache. You just haven't really dealt with the problem. So you can cover it up. It's the proverbial, you know, sweep the floor, lift the rug, put it under the rug and all it looks clean, but it's not clean because you haven't actually removed it uh, from right. your. So we need to use medications when they're really indicated, but you also need to look at the fact, you know, if somebody has a headache, uh, you know, I would say there's, we could probably identify 50 different reasons why somebody has a headache. 100%. Uh, so there's potentially 50 different approaches to deal with it. And yeah, Advil would be one of them, but that's a short-term solution for a long-term problem. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, I think you can say that for a lot of different things. Just, totally. I just want to get to the, I want to, you know, pain is scary and I don't want to feel it. And, you know, we're, we've been taught like feeling is scary and we don't mm -hmm. want it. So we're going to do whatever we have to do to avoid it as much as possible, as quick as possible. So it's like, I always, uh, I remember you telling me <laughs> when I was, when I had my babies, like if they have a fever, try not to let it, try not to their body's doing what it needs to do. A fever is actually a good thing. And oftentimes people are like the, you know, oh, I have a fever. I got to take, you know, whatever Tylenol, whatever, and to, to suppress it, but it's actually let your body's doing what it needs to do. So let it be, let it run its natural course. I mean, obviously monitoring the temperature, but a lot of times people are like, oh my God, I'm sick. It's horrible. And I'm like, sick is a good thing because you're boosting your immunity and that's doing a natural thing. And I think it's just, I don't think I'm not enough people are hearing this type of information in terms of like be your own health advocate and let your body, your body's very, very smart. There's a lot of wisdom. So we just need to slow down and actually listen to it. The aspect of, you know, knowing, you know, when to intervene and when to let the body go through natural physiologic processes, any symptom that a patient experiences is simply uh, the body's expression, the symptom once again, if we go to strep throat, it's not strep that causes you to have a sore throat, difficulty swallowing per se. It's, it's the physiologic reaction of the body to try and uh, allow the mechanisms that we naturally have to the body to override the bacteria. So when you allow those things to happen, the best antibiotic in reality is fever. So because, you know, why do we cook food? to kill microbes, you know, uh, it, because if you didn't, you potentially would be eating viruses and bacteria and parasites and everything else, which would then cause havoc within our system. But if we allow the best antibiotic, which is the temperature uh, to basically literally incinerate these microbes and manage it carefully, uh, the, the body has done exactly what it needed to do. And then it will return to a state of normal balance. And in fact, if you don't tune up your immune system, we say minimum of once a year, uh, children, uh, toddlers, uh, literally before school should be getting sick three or four times a year with runny nose or some congestion or an ear. That's how you build your immune system. And, you know, and every, if we suppress the immune system every time, as we age, we start to see our immune system isn't responding as adequately as we would have liked it to respond. Perfect example is Omicron, where people have this, unfortunately, this incredible fear. Delta was a different uh, animal, but right. Omicron is like, in the vast majority of cases, not 100%, vast majority, it's a bad cold. 
and it's above it's above the collarbone. It involves your nose, your throat, you're tired, you're achy, you have a headache, your ears are congested, you know, you have no energy, etc. However, there isn't anybody who's ever died of that. And it's it's actually and if you want to see the best way to build antibodies, just get exposed and hopefully 90% of the world has already been exposed. And so we're actually starting to decline uh, the number of cases. There's a bit of a lag of people. And, and so people are going to the hospital with like the bad cold. They're there for a day and they say, well, go home because there's really, you know, just take care of yourself uh, for what's going on. Hopefully Omicron is on the decline. Hopefully Omicron, which is basically over 90%, if not 99% of all cases now, uh, will basically change the pandemic to an endemic means it's never going to go away. They're now realizing that vaccines won't make it go away, that herd immunity won't make it go away. It's part of our, literally part of our structure now. And so you're always going to hear about COVID. Um, you're going to hear about people getting annual COVID shots, just like a flu shot, because they're afraid of you know getting a, another infection. We right. take care of ourselves with basic treatment guidelines, if we use some basic nutrition, probiotics perhaps, or some fish oil or some vitamin D or whatever is appropriate for that individual, that can help keep your body much more balanced and then allow yourself to get sick once a year to have a fever and then go to bed, turn your cell phone off, just relax and rest, let your body do its thing, which is sort of against society and culture. But that's because we're in this quick fix Needs, I need to feel better yesterday, a mentality. Exactly. Well, that was an amazing, informative talk. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge. I appreciate it. So I think uh, next time we'll actually talk about basic treatment guidelines since that seems to be definitely a foundation to how to start building your own immunity and building up your own health and, to, and being your own health warrior or advocate. Absolutely. That's, that's, you know, you take the basic knowledge we talked about today, we'll add that and people will be well ahead of the game as far as sort of self health care, which is where everybody has to start by being a self advocate of their own situation. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Bye everybody. Till next time. We want to remind you that knowledge isn't power. Applied knowledge is power, where knowledge turns to experience. We encourage you to implement the information shared, allowing you to shift your energy from head to heart. If this is your first time listening, we would love for you to subscribe uh, to connect and grow with us in the coming weeks. If you'd like we, what you've been hearing today, we encourage you to go wherever you're listening to leave a review. Tell us what you loved about the episode, tell us which one was your favorite and share topics you would like us to talk about. And if you're interested in learning more about biological medicine, uh, go to my website, drdixontom.com. And if you'd like to learn more about how to shift your nervous system and heal using movement, I encourage you to visit fitimize.ca to learn more. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to connecting with you on the next episode.